Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Show number 27, Simon Head and Shamat Karsandu with the podcast, bringing you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. On this week's show, we look back at the... It wasn't a great show, was it? UFC 208 in Brooklyn, New York. It was originally thought it was going to be a huge card, and then things didn't quite work out. The fight night itself didn't really deliver. We will look back on what went wrong and uh, some of the highlights and lowlights from fight night over there in New York. We will also look back at the Bellator 179 press conference. Both myself and Sandu were there in London as Paul Daly was announced that he's going to headline at Wembley Arena against Rory McDonald. And a rather grumpy Michael Venom Page who really wanted that Paul Daly fight. He's going to be on the card as well. We had the chance to talk to him. Uh, we don't know who he's going to fight yet. We will talk about that press conference. Plenty to come out of that press conference. We'll very quickly throw forward to Bellator's event this coming weekend as Matt Mitrione takes on the last emperor himself, Fedor Emelianenko. And we'll also take a quick look at the main and co-main events in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada as UFC Fight Night sees Derek Lewis take on Travis Brown and Johnny Hendricks take on Hector Lombard. That's the show this week, show number 27. Mr. Sandu, we've got a busy week ahead. We've just had a busy week. How's things been for you, my man? Yeah, um, busy is definitely the way I describe it. I'm actually pretty uh, wiped out running on fumes at the moment. We obviously had the, the Bellator press conference on Thursday, and then we had UFC 208 on Saturday night. I stayed up last night for the WWE Elimination Chamber. You and me both, man. Yeah, I know a lot of our listeners uh, are also pro wrestling fans. I think uh, everyone's in the same boat. It's, uh, you know, a couple of nights on the trot, staying up until the early hours in the morning. It kind of uh, throws you out of whack a little bit. But uh, but hopefully there's enough gas in the tank uh, to get through this week's show. Yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. I know um, the event this weekend, UFC 208, we might as well launch straight into it. On On paper, that main card looked not too bad. But... If you go through the fight card and you pull up Wikipedia or Sherdog or wherever you get your results from and just glance at that fight card, it really does tell its story. Only one fight on the entire card finished inside the distance, and that was Ronaldo Jacare Souza's first round Kimura finish of the barbarian Tim Boach. The rest of them, they all went to the scorecards, and uh, those judges who had a pretty Pretty busy night, did not come away unscathed. Some controversy on the scorecards and some controversy with the officiating. And uh, we might as well kick off straight away with that. The Women's Inaugural Featherweight Championship of the World was presented and awarded to Jermaine Durandamy after she outpointed Holly Holm by unanimous decision. 48-47 on all three scorecards. But it wasn't as clear-cut as that, was it, Sandy? First off, how did you score it? And uh, we'll talk about the controversy in that fight with not one, but two instances of the randomly landing shots after the buzzer. Tell us what you think about that fight and how you scored it, first off. Yeah, I thought it was a fairly um, tightly contested fight overall across the 25 minutes. I gave Durandamy rounds one, two and four. And I gave Holly Holm rounds three and five. Now, having had a look at some of our contemporaries and colleagues over the last couple of days, um, a lot of them actually scored it uh, for Holly Holm. And I think that's absolutely fine. If you scored the fight for Holly Holm, I've got no problem with that. It's just, um, and, and, I, and I try to stick to the score that I gave 
during fight night you know and it's a, and it can be a little bit tricky when it's all you know it's past six o'clock in the morning and you're trying to keep attention you know pay attention to to the tv screen and the laptop and bits and pieces uh but that's the way i saw it that's the way i scored it um but like i said i want no problem if you scored it for holly Holm. how did you score it so si? i scored it 48 47 for jermaine Durandamy. um if you put yourself in the in the role of the judges you can't be applying point deductions um had had there been the point deduction that I think would have been just for the second instance of Durandamy landing shots after the buzzer, then that fight therefore would have finished a 47-47 draw. And uh, we'd be no nearer to knowing who the featherweight champion of the world is. But uh, yeah, I scored. I think I might have give all... I think I might have scored the first three rounds to Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, and okay, I, and, interesting. And Holly... Holly won the uh, the last two, I think. Um, right. I know Holly certainly won the last round. I yeah. remember saying on online at the time that Holly needed a finish, and it was pretty bizarre actually seeing seeing her tactics in that final round. She was content to clinch up against the cage and not really look that active. Where I thought she really needed to put a put a statement on in that last round and get at, 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 well at the very least need to, needed to get a ten eight. And uh, with the judges applying. The new uh, criteria for scoring, we did see a couple of 10-8s over the course of the night. And a 10-8 would have been enough to uh, to not just equalise on the scorecards, but to actually go ahead and win the fight. But let's talk about these these instances of the late the late strikes after the buzzer. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of controversy at the time. Everybody's weighed in on social media. I think the general reaction at the time was the first one was bad and she needed at least a warning for. The second one, having had such an obvious instance of it the previous round, she really should have had a point taken. Um, but looking on social media, Dan Hardy in particular was quite was quite vocal. He said, it's not the fighter's responsibility to stop when the buzzer goes off because they've got, you know, they're, they're in the moment and they're fighting. The round finishes when the referee stops the round. And on both occasions, that referee was pretty weak. He didn't really jump in. Uh, he kind of sort of stood off. He didn't really intervene. You watch the, you know, the really top guys, the Mark Goddards, the Herb Deans, the John McCarthy's. They will literally just put their body between the two fighters to ensure that no more, no more exchanges can can take place. That didn't really happen, and that gave the randomy the opportunity to. To throw strikes, I don't think Jermaine. Uh, I don't think Jermaine Durandamy is a dirty fighter. There's been some accusations. Holly said that she thought Jermaine deliberately hit her after the bell. Um, I think that's a little harsh. I, she certainly deliberately hit her, but I don't know whether Durandamy was that cognizant of the fact that the buzzer had gone off. She's in full-on kill mode, especially with the second one. She'd just taken a head kick and was firing straight back. So. Um, it's interesting to see just, you know, the, uh, the range of opinions, but I know Mark, Mark Goddard basically backed up Dan Hardy on, on uh, social media and said it is down to the referee to stop the action at the end of the round. And the referee on that occasion, and this is now my words, not Mark's, the referee on that occasion didn't really interject as, as forcefully as he needed to. So, um, I understand why people are, are not happy. I understand why Holly's not happy. But I, I a, don't think Jermaine is a, is a dirty fighter. And B, I think 
a one-point deduction would have been right. I think what should have happened was there should have been a, a final warning after the first one and there should have been a point after the second one. And if that had happened, based on my personal scorecard and also based on the three judges' scorecards at the end of that fight, we would have had a 47-47 draw. What do you make of it? Yeah, 100%. I think the the disgraceful act of the referee after the attempted second uh, strike after the, the, the bell went, the first one obviously landed, the second one didn't, but there was still an attempt made after the bell had gone off, right? So at that point, the referee tells Durandamy, if you do it again, I'm going to deduct a point. So you just told the fighter that they can get away with two strikes after the bell before you're going to deduct a point. That's disgraceful. That is absolutely disgraceful. We, we saw the first shot that rocked Holly home, right? Now, she, she, in my opinion, she bounced back in that third round and, and did, did fairly well, but she still got rocked after that, uh, you know, that, that shot landed after the, the bell went. Me personally, I would like to see zero, zero tolerance. Um, I'm not actually a, a fan of even giving a warning. You know what the rules are beforehand. It's not football, right? If you handball, oh, it's an accident. You know, you get away with it. You do it again, yellow card, right? You, you know, when it comes to uh, combat sports, every single moment in that cage can have a massive, massive impact on the outcome of the fight and then the outcome of your career, out, potential earnings. It, it has a massive domino effect on everything else. And the fighters know the rules and it's up to the referee inside the cage um, to, I suppose, put a hard line. Now, at the moment, you don't really see that. That's what I, that's that, that, I mean. What I'm saying here is that, that's what I ideally I'd like to see. I'd like to see um, instances instances like the first strike be taken care of instantly. Instead of a warning, you say right straight away one point taken away. When a fighter uh, puts their hand on a cage to give them momentum so that they're not taken down, instantly stop the fight and you take a point away from that fighter. I think that's the only way this sport's going to move forward without fighters cheating. And I'm not saying that all fighters deliberately cheat, but I think you could make a, a very good case for a few fighters that do try and bend the rules to, to, get, to get an advantage. And at the moment, it pays to cheat. It really does pay to cheat, you know? So again, I'm not saying I'm taking any, anything away from Durandamy. I'm, I'm, I'm not here saying that she deliberately um, tried to inflict damage on Holly Holm after the bell went. I'm just saying that I think it's time that the referees took a hard line on, on things like this because that's the only way um, this is, this is going to actually um, either stop fights from doing it down the road or have a, a, an, an effect on the actual outcome of that fight in that moment so that there's a sort of even playing field. And like you said, had he taken a point away instantly, it would have been a draw. They probably would have had to run it back, which probably would have been the the best outcome anyway, given there's no other fighters currently available in the in the UFC featherweight division with Cyborg. I know there's you know lots of stories at the moment. Dana White did the the media rounds saying that it's looking pretty good with her situation with Usada, but as things currently stand, we still don't know what the outcome might be, and there are no other fighters signed to the UFC's featherweight division. That's my take. So I don't know if you agree with that, but what do you think? I think the zero tolerance thing is a really good point. I think in certain instances, I can I can agree with it. I think the one grey area with when it comes to the buzzer is it isn't always possible to hear. It isn't always possible to hear. We were both in uh, 
the O2 Arena when Anderson Silva landed that flying knee on Michael Bisbing. We didn't know whether it was before the buzzer, on the buzzer, after the buzzer. Mark Goddard uh, was involved in an incident where Jose Aldo hit Chad Mendes just after the buzzer in their title fight and decked him. He floored him. Um, and the reason why was because it was so loud in the arena at the time. No one, no one at cage side could hear the buzzer go off. Um, and um, that was just one of those things. And that's why the zero tolerance on, on the hitting late after the buzzer is, is, is tricky. I think in an ideal world, that would, that, that would be right. I think anything that you're instructing the fighters to do in the pre-fight instructions, you can legitimately say, okay, they're being warned ahead of time, such as no, no extending the fingers. If there's an eye poke, we're going to take a point. No grabbing the fence. If I see a fence grab, I'll take a point. You could extend that, I guess, and say, don't, don't, you know, once you hear the buzzer, you stop fighting instantly. Um, and if you continue, I'll take a point. Sometimes you're in, you're in the act of throwing a strike and the buzzer can go and then you're into the interpretation of the referee and you could end up with an unfair point being taken and it gets a bit tricky. But um, I think for something like that, instant replay could be quite useful um, and it's not something that, that, that gets used in every state. But I do think that if you've got a hard and fast rule where you don't have the, any grey area, everyone's playing to the same rules. It doesn't matter who the ref is. It doesn't matter where you are, what what state you're you're fighting under. If all of that is very black and white, there can't really be any complaints because everybody knows the situation going in. No one can complain about the interpretation. If you hit after the buzzer, you lose a point. And and that's it. And and I think that's the ideal. Um whether we'll end up getting to that point, I don't know. But um I do think I do think that the the big issue that, that came from that fight was the fact that we had an inexperienced referee in charge of a world championship fight. And I don't think that should ever be the case. You know, the, there isn't an excuse for it, really. It's not like we don't have a plethora of UFC officials, MMA officials who have officiated at world championship level. There's four, five, six of them who have all done it. And none of those, and some of them, some of, uh, sorry, some of them were on the books that night. Uh, Dan, Dan Mergliotta, for example, was, was, was officiating on that card. He could have taken that main event fight and would have been a safer pair of hands than uh, the guy who, who actually took the fight. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at. Also, that's, uh, something that needs to be looked at is some of the scores that, that, were, uh, that, that, that were added in this fight. If we look at the co-main event, Anderson Silva took on Derek Brunson. And Anderson Silva to the surprise of many, including myself, took the win by unanimous decision as well. 29-28 on two cards. When it's a close fight, 29-28 is hard to argue against, you know, different interpretations of judges. But 30-27 for Anderson Silva. I personally scored it 29-28 to Derek Brunson. But 30... I can can accept someone saying it was 29-28 to Silva because a couple of the rounds were close. But all three rounds? No, absolutely not. I mean, what did you make of it? Uh, and did you think Derek Brunson did enough to win the fight? Afterwards, he texted Dana White and said that 
he'd outclassed Anderson Silva. I don't think he outclassed Anderson Silva. I think Derek Brunson could have done a lot more in that fight and was a little too wary. Um, and he let it go to the scorecards and obviously they they uh, didn't go his way. But do you think he won that fight? Because I certainly did. I'm not sure. I'm still not sure, to be honest, because I didn't score it at the time. Um, normally, I mean, if I'm really paying attention to the fight, I tend to kind of only live score and make my scores kind of publicly aware via Twitter when it's a main event. Right. The rest of the, the rest of the fights, I usually just sit back, watch the fights, um, and add some commentary after the fight's over. So I wasn't really kind of doing a round by round score there. It, what I will say, it was a very, very close fight and it could have gone either way. And I agree with you. If you had it 29, 28, Either way, to, for Brunson or for Silver, I got no problem. But a thirty twenty seven for Anderson Silver, not on your Nelly, no chance in hell. So um, yeah, I mean, again, like you you mentioned at the top of the show, Sai, the New York State left the New York State Athletic Commission, um, a few blunders with the uh, the refereeing and also the judges on on cage side with the um, you know the, the the top build fights of the card, the co main and the main event. So, um, so not a, not a good night for the uh, the officiating there. No, thankfully there was a fight that didn't require uh, too much in the way of officiating. Ronaldo Jacare Souza uh, doing to Tim Boach what most people would have expected him to do to Tim Boach. Took him down, submitted him in pretty swift fashion via Kimura. What do you do with Jacare Souza? The middleweight division is a bit of a mess right now. They're not short of talent at the, at, at the very top of the weight class. I know Luke Rockhold is currently out of action at the moment. I understand he's he's targeting a, a return in sort of June, July time, uh, assuming he doesn't need any surgery on his knee. He's currently, uh, I think he's undergone stem cell treatment to uh, help repair uh, an ACL injury. But um, and he's hoping to do it without surgery. So that's interesting to see how that goes. But you've got Yoel Romero. You've got Ronaldo Jacare Souza. You've got Chris Weidman. You've got Gegard Musasi. And, of course, you've got the man with the belt, Michael Bisbing. There's the, the looming spectre of potentially Nick Diaz coming back, uh, either as a middleweight or as a welterweight. You've got the looming spectre of George St. Pierre coming back, either as a welterweight or as a middleweight. What do you do if you're Jacare Souza? I mean, they gave him this Tim Boach fight, clearly because they had nothing else to do with him, and they needed to keep him active. But surely he can't have another tune-up fight. He needs... At the very least, he needs a, he needs an eliminator fight next, doesn't he? Well, there's a couple of things you could do. He could wait. I mean, I think the Romero Bisping fight should be close to getting officially signed soon. One would think, if that's the route they're going to take. I mean, again, I think we're in an era now with WMEIMG. We just don't know what they're going to do with Anderson Silva winning and them trying to make as much money as possible. Could they potentially do Bisping Silva too? Potentially. Could they have GSP return and, and fight Michael Bisping? Potentially. Could they bring back Nick? You know, we just don't know right now, Simon. That's the thing. I think matchmaking purely based on meritocracy um, isn't a priority, and, that, and that's clear to see in, in the, over the course of the last six months or so. So there's a few things you could do. I think if, if I'm Jacare, I'm waiting just to see the actual booking of that middleweight title picture. And if it's someone like Bisping versus... Um, you know, a GSP or an Anderson Silva, for example, then yeah, maybe you, you do a Jacare um, versus a Romero. You know, get get that rematch um, in on you know on the books or something like that. Or or why not 
um, you know, I don't want to say feed Jacques Rath. That's a bit uh, um, of, a, of a wrong statement. But, you know, this weekend, and we're going to speak about it a little bit later on, you've got Johnny Hendricks and, and Hector Lombard, you know. Um, you know, Johnny Hendricks is coming up to middleweight for the very first time. If he looks good against Hector Lombard, you know, he's a name. He's a former welterweight champion. You know, why don't you throw him up against a Jacques Array and see how he does, you know. You know, Johnny Hendricks, I don't think he's going to be around for much longer, given how, how much time he's put into the sport anyway. And I think... For him, if he's going to move to middleweight, it's trying to get to a title shot as soon as possible for him as well. And I think he'd, if, he, if things go well for him against Lombard, jumping in there with someone like Jacques Ray, where, where you know if you if you get a win over Jacques Ray, you're right up there immediately. Um, that could be an option. But I think for for the time being, Jacques Ray just needs to play um, the waiting game, be patient, just to see how things develop with this being at his middleweight title. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It looks as if they're pretty set on doing Bisbing versus Joel Romero. I think, if it were me, I think Ronaldo has jumped the queue. I think uh, I think Ronaldo Jacare Souza, he should be the number one contender. I think I personally think that he beat Joel Romero when they fought. Um, obviously, the judges thought otherwise, but I think jacare has got a better body of work. I think he's. I think there's less um, baggage around him. And I think he deserves his shot. I think what could potentially happen is that Ronaldo Jacare Souza sits out for a short while. Mm-hmm. And uh, if Luke Rockhold comes back in the summer and comes back fit, then you do Jacare versus Rockhold. That is a sellable main event anywhere in the world. And uh, it's also a rematch of the Strike Force World Title fight that they had back in the day. So I think that makes a lot of sense. You do Romero versus Bisbing. And uh, obviously you've got Chris Weidman versus uh, Gegard Mousasi. So that, for me, would make the most sense. And hopefully you get three definitive winners out of all of those three fights and then you go from there. But uh, it's, a, it's a real mess, that middleweight division right now. And uh, things need to... And it's not the only division where it's like that. We just need a little bit of... It feels like things need to be given a bit of a kickstart, you know? And I think uh, Bisbing versus Romero would certainly do that. So... Uh, that's the middleweight division. With oh, and Anderson Silva, of course, is floating about. And yeah. you mentioned him, and you mentioned that you know the option of a rematch with Bisbing. He was pushing for that before the fight. He was saying in fight week he wants to fight Bisbing again. Um, I'll say now, if Anderson Silva gets a title shot before Jacare Souza does, then that's just a travesty in sporting terms. It can't be allowed to happen. But you can bet it's an option. And it wouldn't yep. surprise me if it did happen because at the end of the day, Anderson Silva, Michael Bisbing 2 sells more tickets than uh, Jacare Souza versus Michael Bisbing. So that's the sad, the sad truth of it. And I think, and we've spoken about sporting meritocracy on, the, uh, meritocracy on the show many times. And yeah, it's an entertainment sport as well, but you've got to keep it legitimate. It's got to be legitimate. It's got to be the best fighting the best and if I understand Romero getting a title shot but if Jack Array doesn't get the title shot and Anderson Silva does then there's something seriously wrong so uh, let's hope it doesn't come to that uh, just very quickly to run down the other two fights on that main card Glover Teixeira getting a unanimous decision hard earned unanimous decision over Jared Cannonier or sorry Cannonier rather 30-26 um, on all the scorecards which suggest that he was dominant but Cannonier certainly didn't go quietly. He stayed in there, stayed competitive all the way through. And the fight of the night, Dustin Poirier versus Jim Miller. 
That fight went to the cards as well, and it was a majority decision win for Dustin Poirier. The funny thing about that fight, Sandu, was all through fight week, Dustin Poirier was telling anybody who would listen that he'd become responsible now. He wasn't just going <laughs> to go in there, bite down on his mouthpiece and get involved in tear-ups again because he, he knows he needs to fight smart. He knows he needs to be a little bit more, a little bit more controlled with his aggression inside the octagon. I think it was about two and a half minutes in. He managed that, and then all hell broke loose, and it turned into an absolute war with Jim Miller, who loves nothing better than to stand and trade himself. Three brilliant rounds. One of the judges scored it a 28-28 draw. One scored it 29-28 for Poirier, and another scored it 30-27 for the Diamond. That was the fight of the night. The uh, performance of the night bonus went to Jacare Souza, unsurprisingly. The only guy to finish someone on the card. That was UFC 208. One thing about this, Sandy, I just wanted to mention, uh, we watch a lot of MMA. Uh, and the majority of what we watch is, is, is UFC-branded content. Yeah. It's not often that we can turn around at a fight card and say, that wasn't a very good event. Sometimes we can look at events and say, that was amazing, it was good, it was okay, it was below par sometimes. But very rarely do we, do we sort of look back at an event and say, that really just didn't deliver. This is probably one of those, isn't it? We, there, wasn't really, there wasn't really enough there you know, for people to walk away and say, well, at least we had this, or at least we had this. Poirier versus Miller was a, was a, was a good fight, and we saw just over three and a half minutes of dominance from Jacare Souza. The rest of it really wasn't much to write home about at all, was it? No, it wasn't. And I think um, you can put that down to a lack of star power in the UFC right now with um, McGregor on hiatus and uh, Ronda Rousey not available. Um, but look, you know, the, the, the ratio is normally in our favor. Normally, a UFC event delivers and then some. I mean, we've just come off one of the best years, if not the best year, uh, not only the sports history, but in the UFC's history in terms of the quality of fights, um, the number of blockbuster events. just there's, there's always been so much to talk about you know, and hype, hype about and discuss and dissect. It wasn't a good night, but every cloud does have a silver lining, Simon. And, you know, most of the time, I think we try to be optimistic about things. And, and, and here, I think the main takeaway is Europe's got a fourth active UFC champion. Right, Michael Bisping, Conor McGregor, Yona Janjacek, and now Jermaine Durandamy. You know, there was a period of time where we didn't have any champions. You'd have to go all the way back to Bas Rutan and, and Andre Arlovsky, right? And what's happened in the last couple of years has been absolutely phenomenal for the sport here in Europe to have so many individual countries represented as the world's best fighters. Bisping representing England, Conor McGregor representing Ireland, Jan Jacek Poland and Durandamy now the Netherlands. And I haven't caught up with our Dutch colleagues that cover the sport over there, but I'm sure, you know, they're getting more requests um, to, to cover Durandamy and, and, you know, I'm sure she'll have a hell of a homecoming. In Brooklyn, in New York, you're always going to have a pretty feisty crowd and there were reports of, you know, fans walking away without even, you know, waiting to see what the actual decision was of the main event. You're going to get that in a, in, a, in a market like that. But like I said, every cloud does have a silver lining. 
And Europe's got now four UFC champions, and that's a, that's a phenomenal feat. It really is. It really is. And that, that, that segues nicely into uh, the next bit of the show where the other big promotion in the world MMA space, Bellator MMA, are going to come here to the UK and put on a big show at Wembley Arena. May the 19th, Bellator 179. We'll see Paul Semtex Daily take on Rory McDonald. That, my friend, is one hell of a main event and one that has got the MMA world, not just here in the UK, but on the other side of the pond as well. Everyone's amped for this. And uh, we didn't get Rory at, at this particular press conference. We will be getting him in a week or so, fingers crossed. So uh, we'll be able to report back on that very soon, hopefully. But what we did get, because we didn't know what the main event would be, me and you had discussed this at length, and we were both pretty sure it was going to be Daly versus Rory. Um, but when the press conference was being set up, there were three seats up there on the day. Scott Coker was in the middle, obviously, the Bellator MMA president, Paul Daly and Michael Venom Page. And there were some errant reports that had circulated beforehand saying, this fight's a done deal. We understand this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think I think those sort of a bit closer to the situation knew that that wasn't going to happen. Michael Page, I think, was trying to force Bellator's hand a little bit and admitted as much uh, when when I spoke to him at the press conference. He just he knew that fight wasn't going to happen, but he was he was pushing just to see if he could almost force force a last minute change with his uh, his Paula uh, Paula as it as it was on social media where he was just taunting Paul Semtex Daily. Um, but what we did get, considering that neither fighter had an opponent there, we still managed to get a very, very entertaining press conference. We've got one hell of a main event, and Michael Venom Page will also be on that card as well against an as-yet-unnamed opponent. I've got my theories on that. We will talk about that in a minute. But first off, Sandy, we were both there at the press conference. What did you make of it? Because under normal circumstances, if you, if you knew that you were going to a press conference to announce the main event of a fight card and you you only had one fighter from that bout there and you had another fighter who'd also be on the card, you'd, you'd expect things to be a little bit awkward. But it wasn't awkward at all. It was actually gold, wasn't it? It really was. The press conference lasted about 35 minutes in total and I think there were about two questions asked about Daly versus McDonald yeah. after, the, after the fight announcement. All the questions directed at Daly and MVP were in regards to MVP's uh, trash talk and use of social media, even a, even a rap video which he told me just took him no more than three hours the day before he released it to put together, which is a pretty phenomenal uh, creative feat in itself. But, um, you know, what MVP has done here, and, and, I, and I spoke to Paul about this afterwards as well, actually, I said, not only have you now already got a, a fantastic blockbuster fight, where the entire MMA world will be paying attention, right? That McDonald fight is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's interesting to see what McDonald looks like now after a bit of a long layoff. Will, will it be version 2.0? And he's, and he's going to be fighting a Paul Daly who's bang in form, coming off a highlight reel early contender for knockout of the year. And it's a fight that Daly called for himself, you know? So we'll see how that plays out. But regardless of whether Daly wins or loses, the seeds have been planted with this MVP fight. 
and you know we asked Scott Coker, and he said that that's a fight that they'd want to do in the UK at some point in the future. I feel a little bit sorry for MVP. I give him an A for effort, but um, he's going to be around for a while, and so is Daly, and I think they both know that. Uh, and, and kudos to Daly for outright saying that when they do actually make the fight, it'll have to be for the right money. I think they both know what this fight would mean here in the UK. It would it would be an instant sellout. I have no qualms about that whatsoever. I'm sure your social media feed, just like mine, was filled with such interest and hype um, and curiosity when the thought of the two fighting was potentially on the cards. And then when that was, uh, you know, not to be true, uh, I, I kind of spoke to Paul Daly who nixed it and I kind of reported that, the flood of disappointment was there to be seen as well. But I think they've picked the, the UK fans up again with this McDonald. Um, fight announcement, which I think everyone is all in for. And, um, you know, you stack that up against the, the UFC main event, and I know which one I like better. Yeah. No, I agree. I think uh, it gives Bellator a real a real push on this side of the pond to be able to put that fight on. I mean, they could have done the Koreshkov fight uh, because that's, that's equally relevant in that Bellator welterweight division, but it doesn't have that it factor that really draws eyeballs to the to, to the show that Rory McDonald does. Rory McDonald is a name that everybody knows, whether you're a part-time MMA fan or a, a diehard. Everyone knows Rory McDonald. Everyone knows what he brings to the table. And this, of course, will be his promotional debut. It'll be his Bellator MMA debut. And he's coming over here to London, where he was, I believe, due to fight last year. I think the plan originally, when he was with the UFC was that he was going to main event UFC London last last year against Hector Lombard. They couldn't get that fight done. And then the UFC called an audible and made Michael Bisbing versus Anderson Silva as a not a bad backup, not a bad replacement. But Roy McDonald gets the fight in London one year on, and uh, that's going to be one hell of a fight. I have to say, the talk of the MVP versus Daly fight it's it is exciting. It really does. It fires the imagination. And on more than one occasion, I've called it the Eubank versus Ben of British MMA. I think there are real there are real comparisons there. I think you've got Paul Semtex Daly. He's the Nigel Ben of the equation. The big knockout artist. The veteran. He's been in there with a who's who, and he's got a great record. He never he never steps back from a challenge. Then you've got the showman. The guy who comes in with a little bit of flair, you know, he, he, he's able to bring different eyeballs to the sport. Uh, some people are tuning in to watch him get beat. Some people are tuning in to watch him do something spectacular. That was Chris Eubank back in the day. It's Michael Venom Page right now. Having said that, I think they've done this absolutely right by not making the fight now. And I spoke to Paul, I spoke to obviously both of them, as you did. One of the questions I asked uh, page was can you understand as a fighter and as a businessman why Paul Daly opted to take the Rory McDonald fight and to his credit Page was like absolutely I've got no complaints whatsoever with the fact that he's chosen to fight Rory McDonald that fight makes complete sense it was more the fact that he felt that he'd been disrespected um, yeah. and I think that was the issue and it was more about things that were said rather than the decision to take the, the Rory fight. 
Whereas yeah. I think from the outside, if you're if you're a bit more distant to it, it's easy to think that Page is pissed off because he didn't get the fight. He wanted the fight, absolutely, but he's not annoyed that that he. he I don't think he thinks that Daly's ducking him. I think he understands why Daly's taking the fight. He just wanted that fight now. Um, so, and it's interesting. I I actually think if Daly loses to Roy McDonald, that fight happens quicker. Mm-hmm. I think that's the logical next fight. If Daly loses to McDonald, MVP wins against whoever he goes in with. I think that makes. I think that brings them basically on a level at that point. And then there's a natural a natural uh, tendency to put those two together. Daly's plan is different. Daly obviously intends on putting away Roy McDonald, taking on Douglas Lima for the Bellator Welterweight Championship, and then having won the belt, he wants to fight Michael Page. Could you imagine uh, an all-British Bellator Welterweight title fight? Michael Page and Paul Daly. That would that would probably be the biggest the biggest MMA fight held in this country. I know we've had some big UFC fights in the past, but to have two Brits in a world title fight is almost is almost too good to think about at this stage. It's a little bit you know, there's 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 plenty of things that need to happen for it to get there. Michael Page probably needs to win two. Paul Daly's gonna need to win two um against the very best there are. So it could happen. It could happen. I mean, what do you think? Do you think do you think we're going to see this fight in the next 12 months or do you think we're going to be looking at sort of this time next year or maybe next summer that they start to bring these two together? What do you think the most likely outcome is here? I think we will see it sooner or later. Uh, whether it's this year or next year, I'm sure we will see it sooner or later. Um, and I think when they do put that fight on, that's when you go back to the O2. I think last year when they initially had the O2 event, it's still a little bit tricky to judge in, in, in hindsight because it wasn't an all Bellator uh, promotion they didn't really have uh, a uk base now they've got um boys and girls on the ground here in london who are handling a lot of the pr uh, last summer they were working with attack promotions who they're not working with anymore and again it's still hard to judge because that card originally did have kimbo slice and we just don't know what kind of impact um he would have had in terms of ticket sales had he still been with us and he still would have fought on that card well what I think they've done gr- uh, correctly at this occasion is they've gone to a smaller arena. It's the SSC in Wembley. It's a fantastic arena for fight sports, uh, especially, um, you know, there's not a bad seat in the house. If you watch any pro wrestling there or if you watch any MMA, that's a, a fantastic sized uh, arena. Um, honestly, if you can get grab yourself some tickets, um, just, just get anything you can. doesn't matter if it's the cheapest uh, seat in the house. Um, you won't have a, a real bad view there. Um, but, yeah, to answer the question, yeah, I think it will happen sooner or later. Um, and I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things to come out of that press conference before, before we move on, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, have a pretty lengthy chat with Bellator President Scott Coker, who was... In- in my mind, was 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 remarkably relaxed and incredibly open in some of the things that he was te- he was talking to us about. He mentioned that Baby Slice, they're planning on bringing him over. I assume he's going to be part of that card. They talked about free agents, and it seems they're quite high on Lorenz Larkin, who I think if they make that fight, I suspect he might be the guy to face Michael Page in London. Lorenz Larkin versus Michael Venom Page would be one hell of a matchup. Um, Brennan Ward is another possibility, I guess, but I think Lorenz Larkin would be would be an excellent, excellent matchup. Uh, two great strikers going head to head. 
at Wembley Arena. Um, he didn't really talk that much about Misha Serkinov. We talked about Ryan Bader. Looks as if that Ryan Bader deal is very close to being done. He told us that they'd made Bader an offer and they were waiting for the UFC to match. But before that, Dana White had already said they weren't going to match. So we could only assume that Ryan Bader will soon be announced as a Bellator MMA light heavyweight. Um, but the other big talking point to come out of it, Sandu, and I'm interested to get your take on this. We, we asked him about Mike Goldberg, yeah. former UFC play-by-play man, and uh, just chucked it out there to see if he would buy it and if he would you know, even give the, you know, the merest hint that Goldberg might join. And he gave us a fair bit more than that. He said that they'd been, they'd been in discussions, Goldberg had reached out, and that the current play-by-play guy, um, Sean Grande, who is more, more well-known for being the voice of the Boston Celtics, commentating on uh, the NBA, the NBA there, he could well be the understudy to Sean Grande where there will be some scheduling conflicts coming up by the sound of it. And uh, the Gold, Goldberg could be the guy to step in. And uh, he was waxing lyrical, actually. There's a quote here. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to pull it up. He, uh, he said something like, uh, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be great to see Goldie and our guy Jimmy, Jimmy Smith, and Charles Sonnen? That would be a nice little play-by-play and colour commentary team. So he's already he's already waxing lyrical about having not only Mike Goldberg there, but having Chael there as a as a, a regular part of a three man a three man commentary team. And I think people who are who are sort of fond of, of Mike Goldberg's commentary, I think they're gonna really enjoy that. You know, Mike Goldberg, Jimmy Smith, and Chael Sonnen as a as a bit of a, a three pronged attack, I think that would I, I think it would certainly enhance their T V products. I mean what do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind this. You know, signing Mike Goldberg to do some commentary for you, is it going to give you a massive boost in the ratings? No. Is it a signing like some of the fighters that they could potentially get, like a Ryan Bader or Lorenz Larkin, where it's going to add some pure legitimacy to your roster and to those weight classes? No. What it does do, it just keeps the momentum going. You know, we also you know saw this is a bit of back office stuff, Simon, but you know, better to have. Uh, been able to sign or you know obtain some of the ex UFC PR staff who were let go during the massive cull from WMEIMG, and that's a great move. These are guys that work in the MMA industry, have a lot of contacts, know how this game works, have a ton of tons of experience, and as they're starting to now you know enter more international markets, they'll be traveling the world more. They're going to need more you know men, you know boys and girls on the, on the ground. You know, we, we we spoke to him. I asked a question. He said they're they're going to enter seven to nine international markets this year. You know, and I, and I know that a fair chunk of those international markets are going to be based here in Europe. Yeah. Um, look, you know, <laughs> the thing about the the three man commentary team. Take Charles Sonnen to the side for one second. Just have Mike Goldberg standing next to Jimmy Smith. Virtually identical. You know, when it, <laughs> <laughs> that's what comes to mind. See you know. There. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people that watched the UFC on Spike back in the day will remember Mike Goldberg. Um, and even on a lot of the reruns that they, they had going on for quite some time before this new Bellator deal kicked in, they were, they were running a lot of the, the UFC shoulder programming, which included Mike Goldberg, looking back at some of the classic vintage UFC fights. So, um, and listen, you know, have we criticized Mike Goldberg over the years? Absolutely. You know, but he is ours, Simon. I think that's the thing. 
within our community, he belonged to us. He's that warm, fuzzy blanket. That's what a lot of our contemporaries over the pond, over the Atlantic have called him. Uh, and I think that's bang on the money. And, you know, he wasn't required. His services weren't required anymore with the UFC. Uh, but if he can stay within the sport somehow and, um, and you know, and that's what he wants to do, then why not? More power to him and best luck to him. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not averse to it. I think it's, in some ways, I think it's a good idea because he's a voice that people associate with the highest level of mixed martial arts. So to have that voice attached to Bellator MMA, who have aspirations to put on the best fights possible themselves, then I think I think that that only helps. I think I think it makes sense. He's he's been associated with some of the biggest fights in the history of the sport. So I think I think it makes total sense to bring him in. Um, whether he gets brought in at the expense of Sean Grande, or whether he gets brought in as an understudy, as as Scott Coker suggested, remains to be seen. But to me, it's a no-brainer. I think it makes total sense. Um, speaking of Bellator, we actually have a Bellator event this weekend, and it's a biggie. It's a biggie. Matt Mitrione, another free agent signing from the UFC, he takes on the last emperor himself, Fedor Emelianenko, in the main event in the Shark Tank, the SAP Center in San Jose, California, this Saturday night. Now, there are, to the best of my knowledge, no legal ways of watching this thing live. No. So, I, I, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think there's any official stream. If we learn of one, rest assured we will let you know via our social media channels. Uh, we can't possibly condone you using any other type of stream that may be available. But, uh, you know, by all means, enjoy the fights as you find them. Uh, Fedor Emelianenko versus Matt Mitrio and Josh Thompson versus Patriki Pitbull or Patriki Fier. Czech Congo versus Britain's own Ollie Thompson. Uh, further down that card, we also have the Bellator debut of Josh Koscheck, who takes on Mauricio Alonso. But let's just talk very briefly about this main event, Sandu. Mitrione, this is the biggest fight of his career, probably the biggest payday of his career, and against the most decorated opponent of his career. Is he going to beat Fedor? Fedor has not looked good the last couple of times we've seen him. He got beaten up by Fabio Maldonado and the only people who gave him the win were well I think it was overturned wasn't it I think they gave it to Maldonado and then it was overturned but uh, yeah Fedor is he a busted flush is this is this gonna be a one-shot deal and Matt Mitrione is 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 the lucky guy who gets the opportunity to basically send Fedor into retirement or are we going to see the last emperor turn back the clock and shut the world and, and, and put Meathead away and uh, announce himself on the Bellator MMA stage. What do you think? I have to admit, I am a little worried for Fedor on this one, um, only because of his recent performances. Um, I don't think, you know, he's even 75, 80% the fight he was, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Matt Mitrion for a big guy is quite athletic, you know. Fedor's coming off that fight with Fabio Maldonado, and boy, did he take a lot of, you know, punishment in that fight. He really did. He took the kind of punishment where a lot of other fighters normally take a year off. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, I know he's a good friend with Scott Coker. It's still kind of, uh, you know, I still don't understand the relationship that um, 
developed to have struck with Ryzen and Fedor, how many fights this is for, whether he's exclusive to Bellator, whether he can go back to Ryzen, or how that all, you know, works out. But um, what it does do, it's just allowing Bellator to keep the momentum going. You know, you know, back off the Tito Ortiz, Chael Sonnen fight. They've got this fight. They've got Rampage versus King Mo 2. They've got the McDonald versus Daly fight. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see a... a a slew of fights, uh, a slate of fights, if you will, where the main events are getting some serious media attention. It's getting fan attention. And that's not something that you could have said about Bellator a couple of years ago. And I think and I think now you're starting to kind of see the, the, the last couple of years hard work of Scott Coker finally start to come through to fruition. You know, it was never going to be um, an overnight job. It was always he. I think he even said when he first signed on, just give me, give me three, four, five years, you know. And I think now you, it's almost Strike Force, you know, 2.0. And I think during the scrum um, that we had with the Scott Coker in London last week, I think it was you who asked the question whether it was something along the lines of, "Are you having fun? Is this your second wind? Is this unfinished business?" given what happened with Strike Force, And he emphatically said yes. Um, and you could see his eyes light up when you asked him that question, Simon. And I think he's relishing every single second in this job, knowing that he's got the backing of Viacom. He's got more outlets, more money, um, more resources, more tools. Um, and, you know, look, Fedor's not going to be around for 10 years. This is not a long-term invest- investment they've made into him. And to be honest with you, if, if things go the way um, I think they will, and Matt Mitrion wins, then all of a sudden you've got um, a star. You know, he's already a star to, to a certain level, uh, given the fact that he's fought in the UFC and, and whatnot. But to get a win over Fedor or Emelianenko still, I suppose, means something. And maybe after that, they can actually start to put together a, a heavyweight championship in that division, you know, and maybe Matt Matrion can be the poster boy of that division moving forward. Yeah, I need to I need to correct myself earlier. Maldonado lost the fight by by uh, majority decision. Emilianenko won the fight by majority decision. There was a lot of outrage about it. It was appealed and it was overturned uh, by the World Mixed Martial Arts Association, but they basically have no power to change that. It was just their 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 uh, assessment of it all three judges were appointed by the Russian MMA union uh, who have very close ties to Fedor so there was there was some conflict of interest uh, accusations thrown around as well but the record shows Fedor Emelianenko won that fight by majority decision i watched that fight i don't think he won that fight and that fight should have been stopped early as well in my opinion because um, Fedor was getting his backside handed to him by a light heavyweight, Fabio Maldonado. Matt Mitrione is a big heavyweight. He's got fast hands. He's got good hands. And uh, provided he doesn't walk onto anything, I can see him really making a mess of uh, Fedor Emelianenko. So it's going to be an interesting fight to watch. And uh, if I can find a way to watch it, then I, I will. I fully intend to do so. Yeah, uh, make sure you send me a link if you can, Simon, because I just don't know how I'm going to be able to watch that fight. No, no, me neither. I'll, I'll see what I can do, and obviously, you know, I'll exhaust all official sources, and if we can't find one, then I guess we'll just have to rely on Twitter commentary from our American friends. But yeah, um, but all, all kidding aside, that, that is going to be a great fight. Um, we've got a bit of a double header this weekend, though, Sandy, because while we've got Bellator on Saturday night, 
We've mm-hmm. got UFC on Sunday night, so a bit of a Sunday night treat, uh, just to ruin everybody who wants to uh, wants to go to work early on a Monday morning. Uh, we've got UFC Fight Night, Halifax, Nova Scotia, up there in Canada, and the heavy artillery are in the main event for that one as well. The Black Beast himself, Derek Lewis, is in a headline bout against Travis Brown, and uh, that's a fight that has been floated around for a little while, and they've finally made it. The co-main events, he's former UFC welterweight champion Johnny Big Rig Hendricks taking on one of the heaviest-handed five-feet-eight men I've ever seen in my life, Hector Lombard. That's going to be an explosive co-main event. And uh, further down that card, Sarah McMahon is set for action. Elias Theodoru is set for action. Carla Esparza versus Random Marcos stands out as an interesting fight at women's strawweight. Jack Marshman, Britain's own, Wales' own. Jack Marshman, he returns to action as well as he takes on Tiago Santos. Let's, let's zero in on this on this main event, though, Sandu. Uh, Derek the Black Beast Lewis versus Travis Brown, who for a while looked like he was a, a potential champion in waiting. I think he was ranked as high as number three at one point. Mm-hmm. And then it all went wrong for him. He hasn't, he's, he's really struggled to sort of hit, hit consistent form ever since. Who are you picking for this fight? Because it's a... It's a really interesting crossroads fight for both guys, I think. Yeah, uh, I'm picking Derek Lewis. He's just an informed guy. You know, five, five wins in a row, um, and, uh, and the majority of them have come by way of knockout. Um, you know, I still feel like Travis Brown has got a lot to offer. He's, you know, look at some of his you know, older performances, and he seemed to be, you know, on the up. You know, showing a lot of athleticism and whatnot, but I can't, I can't put my finger on, you know, what's gone wrong. Maybe it is the Edmonton Verdian thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, but over the course of the last what six fights, he's lost four. You know, um, this this might be kind of almost like a do or die situation for Travis Brown here. Um, but no, I'm picking Derek Derek Lewis. I think uh, he's just a man in form. He's using confidence, and um, and he's a, he's a tough guy to put away himself. Yeah, you take a look at at Travis Brown's career. He's lost four of his last six fights. Uh, and the only two wins in those six have come against guys who are no longer in the UFC. Brendan Sharp by first round TKO. Matt Mitrione by third round TKO. Um, they're sprinkled in amongst losses to Fabrice Vadum, Andre Arlovsky, Kane Velasquez, and then Vadum again. That's some high-grade opposition that he's losing to. But does that mean that we've found the ceiling for Travis Brown? Is this just... Is this a case of Travis Brown just finding his level, or is it a case of he's changed training camps and he just hasn't he hasn't been able to kick on? And I guess we're going to find that out against Derek Lewis because Derek Lewis is someone who is on the up and he's not ranked in the top two or three in the world as most of those guys were when they took on Travis Brown. Arlovsky's probably the exception to that rule, um, but uh, we're, we're, he's he's kind of a surging, rising contender, so. If Travis Brown has designs on being an elite level, sort of top, top three, top four heavyweight, he really needs to be putting away Derek Lewis. And I tend to agree with you. I think my money is going with the Black Beast on this one. I think he's obviously the guy with the momentum and momentum is something that we talk about so much when we try and pick fights. But he's just such a big, strong guy. And and, and uh, Travis Brown, I just, I don't know what's gone wrong with his career. 
I think I think he's got all the tools to be, be a lot better than he's shown in his last two fights, um, and it'll be very interesting to see how he performs on this one. That's on Sunday night. So we've got heavy a pair of heavyweight main events this weekend: Fedor versus Mitrione, Travis Brown and Derek Lewis. This is probably a bit of an easy question. Which of those two fights are you most intrigued by? Oh, it's easy. It's Fedor versus um, Matt Mitrione. Um... It's kind of weird, isn't it? Not not weird, but I think it's testament and uh, kudos to Bellator. They're putting together fights that just generally get uh, the lion's share of the interest at the moment. You know, with the, the they're making the best of what they have available to them. Simon, do they have uh, the best overall um, fight cards from top to bottom? No, that's always going to be the UFC because they've got the best talent in the world. They've got the biggest roster. They've got the deepest roster. But when it comes to you know one and two punch combos, main event and co-main event. I think on any given sat- Sunday, any given Saturday, any given Friday, whatever day um, of the week Bellator want to hold an event, um, they have the ability now with what they have um, to put on cards uh, and to put on main events specifically um, that will get the attention of the media, get the attention of the MMA community. So um, so that's, that's the fight I'm most looking forward to this weekend for sure. And that's not the only event taking place this weekend as well. We've got here in London we've got Cage Warriors 80 as well so uh, you'll be able to watch that live on Fight Pass uh, and on BT Sport as well Uh, Matt Inman from SVG Manchester taking on Carl Amasu for the vacant welterweight title that promises to be a decent fight so if you want to sit down and watch yourself some live MMA then uh, this weekend has got plenty plenty to offer we've got Cage Warriors then we've got Bellator then we've got the UFC so lots lots to put on your plate if you want to watch some live MMA this weekend that pretty much wraps up uh, the main portion of the show but I understand we've had an absolute shed load of questions this week lots of talking points this week Um, and uh, I don't even know if we put the call out for questions before we started to get loads in and uh, so the best thing to do I suppose Sandu is to just rip through them and try and get as many as we done uh, as many done as we can before we head off. Absolutely, and I think our uh, loyal listeners are, are finally getting it, and we so appreciate it. Just being able to send your questions throughout the week, uh, doing it over the course of the weekend, maybe when you're watching fights, it just makes our life a lot easier. Uh, normally, I've got to put a, a call out sometimes twice, three times on a Monday, um, just to generate uh, the questions needed for the segment. Uh, but you guys were on fire over the course of the last couple of days. I didn't need to put out a call to action whatsoever. So thank you very much uh, for that. Um, so let's let's kick off. Um, let me just get to um, the very first question here. And Stuart Tuckwell tweets in and says, who has the better London main event, UFC or Bellator? I made it very clear earlier on in the show, it's got to be Daly versus McDonald. Or, you know, take nothing away from Jimmy Manuel and Corey Anderson. Um, that, that's, a, that's a very important fight. I think that's a, that's a good fight for Jimmy right now. And uh, I've said it over the course of the last couple of shows. Um, I'm very happy for him to have uh, a main event in London, uh, especially in the O2 Arena, given how things went for him a few years back against Gustafsson. But if I'm, if I'm just judging things on the criteria of uh, fighter ability, uh, uh, name, value, and what they can bring to the table in, a, in an all-round package. I'm talking about mic skills, in-cage ability, and all that kind of stuff. 
it doesn't get any bigger than Daly versus McDonald in London. That's that's an absolutely phenomenal fight. Simon, what about you? Yeah, I mean, just ask yourself. The UFC card has, has taken a little bit of a kick in from, from, from the fans who are disappointed about the main event situation. I think if you had a better main event on the top of that card and you kept all the fights that were already there, I think people would be quite happy. How happy would people be if Paul Daly versus Rory McDonald was the main event of that UFC card? People would be over the moon, I would imagine. Um, so, yeah, clearly that Bellator main event, I think, has got a fair amount more star power in it. And that's not a criticism of, of, of Jimmy, for sure. Um, I just think as a stylistic matchup, it's it's more exciting. I think uh, there's, there's bigger name recognition because everybody in the UK knows Jimmy. Corey Anderson is not a household name um, when it comes to mixed martial arts. Certainly not over here. But Paul Semtex Daly certainly is, and Rory MacDonald certainly is. So, uh, yeah, I have, to give, I have to give the nod to Bellator on that one. I think the overall strength and depth, I suspect the, London, the, uh, the UFC London card will probably be stronger overall, top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're talking the men on the poster, the people that really sell the tickets, then uh, I think Bellator get the, uh, get the unanimous decision from uh, the Brit Pack on that one. Nicely said. Um, a follow-up question from Stuart. Should the UFC have fought harder to keep Serkinov and Bader with a lack of depth in the light heavyweight division? Now, look, it's not official yet, right? And uh, I even uh, got in touch with Coker uh, the minute Dana White made the statement about Serkinov. Now, at the time, uh, Coker was about to board a flight. So I I, I I only got a couple of minutes with him. um, And he wasn't fully committed to saying that he was going to, or Bellator was going to approach Serkinov. Because in his words, although Dana White says, quote unquote, they're done, with Serkinov, it doesn't mean that they've kind of relinquished the rights to hold on to him. Um, so we don't know what that currently is. Normally, there's a three-month period after your contract expires where you have an exclusive negotiating period with the UFC unless they give you the permission and waive that exclusive period. Now, we don't know um, if that's happened yet. Um, Serkinov or his management haven't really made any statements since that um, quote by Dana White. So we'll see how this all plays out. But I think with regards to Bader, it, it looks like it's pretty much going to be a done deal unless the UFC match Bellator's offer, um, which I don't think is going to happen. Again, what you mentioned earlier on in the show, Simon, with regards to Dana White's comments, just basically saying, you know, I think it's, you know, Bellator is the right place for Bader, is what he said in no certain words. But look, you know, if, if, if Serkinov follows Bader to Bellator, then that's fantastic for Bellator. Absolutely phenomenal signings. I really do think that because not only do you have uh, an established name in, in Bader, but you've got arguably one of the hottest prospects in the 205-pound division in world MMA right now. Um, and the fact that he's got European ties uh, to Russia, and you know the Bellator uh, roster does, does have a few Russian fighters in there, uh, but he's also based in Toronto. And again, if you kind of um, piggy bank on perhaps Rory McDonald. Uh, and his uh, Canadian roots, you can perhaps have a nice little one-two combo for a, for, a, for a card down the road in Canada. So it remains to be seen if they can get Serkinov as well, but that that will be a phenomenal one-two punch combination of a signing if they get both of them, Simon. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think, uh, I think Serkinov's Latvian-born, I think. Is he? I think he's Latvian-born, yeah. Um, okay. And uh, But, you know, the uh, it all still applies. He's got that European... 
a sort of European link, which uh, which obviously can help when they're looking to put shows on over here in mainland Europe. Um, yeah. And uh, obviously with, with the whole Canadian thing as well, that makes total sense as well. Right. So on Wikipedia, nationality-wise, he's list, listed as Latvian slash Canadian. Right. But his ethnicity is Russian. So there you go. Well, that's as clear as mud, isn't it? So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> So we're all kind of right, but we're all kind of wrong as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it, basically it means that everything we say makes sense, which is good. So yeah, you know, there's there's European tyres, there's Canadian tyres. He's a name yeah. in as far as he was a rising like heavyweight prospect. But to go back to the question, um, I think I think it would be a mistake to let him go. I've got to be honest. The one thing that we need to remember um, is the light heavyweight division at the moment is suffering due to inactivity of their big stars. Daniel Cormier is currently uh, out of action in, in, in so far as he hasn't fought for a while. He's going to fight very soon. Anthony Rumble Johnson, obviously, he's going to fight very soon as well. John Jones is on the shelf right now. Uh, when he comes back, you can bet interest in the light heavyweight division will pick up in a major way. Alexander Gustafsson hasn't fought for a while. We're not likely to see him until late spring, early summer, at the earliest, I would imagine. So you throw all those guys back in the mix, all of a sudden business starts to look a little bit rosier. But I do think you need those rising contenders. And at the moment, if you look at the guys who are on, on the up and up in that light heavyweight division, if you were picking two names out, you'd pick out Corey Anderson, who's going to fight Jimmy Manoa in London, and you'd pick out Misha Serkinov. Uh, and Serkinov, to me, is the better prospect of the two. So... I'm I'm slightly unless Serkinov has just negotiated himself out of a deal. I find it very strange that they would let him go. So um, it would be really interesting to see what happens there, and you know what what you mentioned about the fact that Dana White said that they're done. That might not necessarily be the case. So let's wait and see what happens with Misha Serkinov. But if he joins Bellator, make no mistake, that is an outstanding signing. He might not be an A-list name. But in terms of pure talent and someone who you can build, he's definitely, definitely going to be a very, very useful signing for Bellator if that does if that does come to pass. Chris Lewis tweets in and says, four European champions, but will European cards get better? If we continue to buy with no main event announced, why would the UFC try harder? Listen, this is going to come down to the, uh, the MMA consumer here in Europe. And uh, and it, it remains to be seen the after effects or what potential damage this London card scenario may have on the rest of the European schedule for 2017. Will, you know, f- fight fans in the rest of the UK and Europe actually say, hang on a second, let me just wait. Let me find out if, you know, what the card is looking like. Let me find out what the main event is before I actually stick down my pounds or stick down my euros or whatever currency that may be. Um, it's definitely sent a lot of shockwaves to the UK MMA community. I've definitely noticed that um, on my kind of social media timeline and feed. Um, don't know how much of an in- impact this has had uh, across Europe. Um, but but listen, we've said it before and we'll say it again. You know, well, I've certainly said this. The UFC brand is very, very strong and very, very powerful. And sometimes, you know, when you're in a major city like London, uh, even if you're not a hardcore MMA fan, um, it's, it's like the uh, the NFL. They come down to Wembley and Twickenham uh, once a year for three or four games. 
And I've been to a few of those games, Simon. I am not the hard, most hardcore of NFL fans by by any stretch of the imagination. I dip in, I dip out. I watch a few NFL games here and there. I understand the game. And hey, listen, if they're coming to down, it's it's a it's a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, a bit of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a form of entertainment and. You get that when you're in a major city like London. So when the UFC comes to town, you know, and you hear about it and they're promoting it through channels to try and get uh, an audience that might be interested in watching some cage fighting. They're aware of the UFC brand. They may be buying tickets without realizing what the main event is just so they can have a good Saturday night out. Yeah. And this isn't unique to the UFC. I have to say, you mentioned the NFL there. I know I'm, I'm, I'm an NFL fan myself. I'm not a diehard, much much as you said you weren't. But there are diehards out there who have been frustrated at the teams that have come over. Why aren't we getting the real big superstar teams? Um, it's the same with the NBA. When the NBA comes to London, we're getting the Indiana Pacers and people like that. We're not getting the Cavs. We're not getting, you know, the you know the big the big teams. And, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Warriors. Yeah. So so, and. For for most people, the fact that the NBA is coming to town is enough, and they'll they'll sell out the O2. Um, but for those hardcore fans who really are under the skin of the sport of basketball or under the skin of the sport of uh, American football, they want to see the big big stars and the big big teams coming over. Um, and there have been some rumblings of discontent and maybe a little bit of frustration that that hasn't happened. Um, and we're getting that with the UFC here. And the point that was made there was about the fact that people are buying tickets while there's no main event. And that happened for UFC London last year. There was no main event. I think the the most prominent matchup that had been made on the card was Bisbing versus Musasi at the time. I think they'd I think they'd mentioned two or three fights. I think Norman Park might have been on the card. There might have been one or two others, but Bisbing versus Musasi was the the highest profile fight, but wasn't mentioned as a main event. And that event sold out without a main event. Um, and then obviously things changed. Everything turned out roses because we got Anderson Silva, Michael Bisbing in the end. So Bisbing got promoted to, to main event status and got a bigger fight. This time round, I think it's pretty obvious to me that they weren't planning on doing Jimmy Manu or Corey Anderson as the main event. Because yeah. Jimmy had spoken in the past, I think, saying that his contract was for a three-round fight. And it, so, therefore, it wasn't going to be a main event. So, things have changed. Great news for Jimmy. Um, I can understand, and without going back too much on, on stuff we've spoken about before, I understand why people are a bit frustrated. But to suggest that if you don't buy tickets until you know what the main event is, and then decide... If you're buying tickets purely on the basis of the main event, then good luck to you. But that's not really how the USC... Uh, how the UFC has done their business so far. They've tended to... Otherwise, you'll end up with one good fight and a load of fights you just aren't interested in. Maybe people aren't interested in the fights that the UFC have put on that card. I don't know. But I tell you one thing. If that happens and people just don't buy tickets, do you know what will happen? They'll give London a miss next year. Yeah. Because the reason why they keep coming back um, is because the market is here. And the minute they think the market isn't here, especially now in this WMEIMG era where the bottom line numbers are the absolute absolute end-all be-all right now. They've got to hit targets. If they think that 
we go to London and it's just going to get a lukewarm reception, we're going to be playing to a half-filled arena, they'll go somewhere else. They'll go, they'll, they'll go do an event in Glasgow or they'll go do an event on mainland Europe instead. Um, and then people will have something to complain about because they'll be like, oh, why has the UFC not come back? So I think while it's easy to be frustrated that you haven't got the, you know, the main event that you want for this particular event, I think there needs to be a little bit of realism as well. Um, and um, truth of the matter is we're not going to get these big superstar cards. We put our fights on at a different time zone to the core, core business product of the UFC, which is US pay-per-view. We had a US pay-per-view show last year, and it did all right. Didn't do massive, but it did all right, because we had an okay card. It wasn't a huge card. It was big enough to do a pay-per-view, and it works. So it proves that it can be done, but when the UFC is spreading themselves thin at the moment, and we're seeing a lot of people who are either out injured or on suspensions, or holding out for money fights or whatever... It's difficult, um, and this is a fight pass event. This isn't a TV event. It's not a fight. It's not a Fox event. It's not a Fox Sports event, and it definitely isn't a pay per view. So, all of that needs to be go into consideration when you're putting your money down. You need to know what you're buying, um, and to go in expecting anything close to a pay per view worthy card when it's only going to be shown on UFC Fight Pass is just unrealistic. So that's all I would say. Uh, Chris Lewis has a follow-up question. He says, with judges supposedly being more liberal with 10-8 rounds, is a one-point deduction half the deterrent it once was? Well, first of all, we just, we just don't see points being taken away. Uh, we talked about it at the top of the show. You know, that's not something that's really enforced that much in MMA anyway. You know, so unless we see that portion of the officiating um, be a little bit more consistent across the board... Only then can we say, you know, okay, well, is it having an impact on 10-8 rounds? But the, the, and the uh, the other side of the argument is you have to do a fair bit to get a 10-8 round in the first place, right? So, I mean, if, 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 if it's a tightly contested fight, that's where really the one-point deduction is going to have a major, major impact. Uh, you know, we talked about the Derek Brunson Anderson Silver fight. It could, it could have gone 29-28 either way. A one-point deduction uh, for either fighter and that could have definitely put the seal on it, um, unless, of course, you're the judge that gave him 30-27 for Anthony Silva, of course. Um, does that make sense, Si? Am yeah. I right there? Yeah, I think when you're talking about a three-round fight, and it all comes down to the 10-point must system, which is a very imperfect beast when it comes to mixed martial arts. It was designed for boxing, where you have lots of short rounds. So it allows for an, an awful lot of variation over the course of a fight. And when you're watching a fight on TV it'd be a 10-round fight or a 12-round fight. And you can see the ebb and flow of the fight when they put the scorecard graphic up on the bottom of the screen. You can see where a fight starts well and then the other guy starts to come into the fight and all the rest of it. And it tells a story. When you've got three, when you've got three five-minute rounds, then the opportunities for applying a score are, are very few. You've got three. You've got three, you know, three opportunities. So you marry in the fact that Ref, uh, sorry, judges are now able to apply 10-8s a little bit more easily. You don't have to absolutely dominate a round and almost finish the guy to get a 10-8 now. You just have to win the round clearly. You win the round clearly, you get a 10-8. If you shade it, it's a 10-9. So what it should mean is, if it's applied properly, you should start to see a few more 10-8 rounds. Whereas normally we'd be watching an event and you know we're both on Twitter and 
by the end of it, we might type in, you know, that was a clear round for Derek Lewis or whoever, you know, on top from start to finish. But he might not have been close to winning the round. You know, he might not have been close to finishing the fight. So we'd score that 10-9. Well, now you'd score that 10-8. So that then gives a little bit more flexibility and more variation to the scores. Throw in the point deduction thing that you spoke about earlier. If we started to have more of a zero tolerance policy whereby cage grab, point off, um, eye poke, point off, then what that allows for is a lot more variation in the score. Um, And I think that makes more sense. Whereas before, a point deduction arguably had a disproportionately large effect on the outcome of a fight. I think now, if you're a fighter, if you're a fighter and you get a point taken on in the first round, you're really up against it and you're going to struggle to get, basically you're fighting to get a draw almost, you know what I mean? So you've really got to do well to turn that around. Whereas you get a point deduction now, you get a 10-8 round, you're back in the game. So I think, I think with the 10-8 rounds and the more consistent, more zero tolerance application of point deductions, I think it will make it better. That's my take on it anyway. Jason Masters tweets in and says, what now for Holly Holm with three three defeats in a row? Now, look, while we've been recording the show, Jermaine Durandamy has gone on Facebook, made a statement essentially saying she didn't intentionally hit um, Holly Holm after the bell. She feels bad about it. She's not a dirty dirty fighter, etc. And she'd be willing to give Holly Holm a rematch. Now, you know, depending on what happens with Cyborg, there's nobody else in the featherweight division, and if Durandamy is willing to give her a rematch, why not? At least that way, everyone that thought it would have, it should have gone uh, in Holly Holmes' favour will be happy that she gets a second crack at it. If Holmes doesn't get that opportunity, there's pretty much nowhere else for her to go apart from go back to bantamweight because there's nobody else in the the women's featherweight division right now. And looking at the bantamweight rankings, I'd have to just build her up again. I'm thinking a Betchkahea. You know, I'm thinking a Holly Holm versus a Betchka hair fight. You'd like to think that that's a fight that Holly Holm would be able to win with these, one would think. Um, and then you just start to kind of build up her momentum and her com- build up her confidence again. Because what Holm needs right now, she's not, she needs a win, Simon, right? She really does. She really does. I mean, the matchup I would like is Raquel Pennington. I think that would be a cool match. Um, stylistically, I think that would be a, a, a decent a decent fight to watch as well. Um, if she goes back down to bantamweight. At featherweight, it's tricky because obviously there are no, you know, there isn't a division. So uh, Megan Anderson is is floating around. She's the interim Invicta featherweight champion. She could be brought into the mix, depending on what happens with, with Cyborg. I find it very interesting that, that the randomly has offered a rematch. The randomly, when when it was mentioned that Cyborg was next for her, uh, she mentioned that she needed to go and have um, go and have operations done on her hand to fix her hand, which is fine. If that's what needs doing, it needs doing, and that, that's all cool. Does this mean that she's going to put that on hold to fight Holly Holm? Or is she going to still get that stuff done and that she'll fight Holly Holm afterwards? So that I find a little interesting. I'll be interested to hear just uh, you know just, just a bit more detail on that because the last thing that you need is for a champion to appear like she she's ducking a fight i don't think jermaine durandamy is someone who ducks fights but i think if she said that she can't fight cyborg straight away because she's she's got injuries that need need fixing 
you really can't turn around and then offer an immediate rematch to the person you just fought. That doesn't work. Um, you can still say, I need all this stuff fixing. Once I'm back, I'll give you a rematch. Um, so that's, that's the part of the story that I'd like, you know, that sort of gray area that I'd like to see sort of filled in a little bit so that we know a bit more, but, um, yeah, Megan Anderson is the obvious one. I think if, um, if we needed a fight in the interim, then, uh, you know, you do the, you do the cyborg versus, versus Durandamy fight gives Durandamy chance to get her injuries healed. It gives cyborg a chance to see out however much, of a suspension she's going to need to deal with. We don't know that. That's currently all up in the air at the moment. Uh, Holly could fight Megan Anderson. Winner of that fights the winner of the randomly versus, versus Cyborg. Um, other than that, move her back down to Bantamweight. Give her Raquel Pennington. That would be my pick. Cool. Uh, David Elmore says, any news on on-sale date for Bellator London? I have that for you. Uh, March 3rd is the general sale where you can go to ssarena.co.uk and access.com there is a special pre-sale uh, through the SSC on Wednesday March 1st uh, that goes through to Thursday March 2nd where uh, a pre-sale for the SSC Arena Wembley will be available as well so there you go um, Daryl Chumbley tweets in and says has MMA being legalized in New York turned bittersweet with a slew of commission and referee gaffes at 205 and now 208 I think, what do you think so? I think uh, you've got a situation here when you've got a commission that hasn't really had to deal with top-level MMA. And they're kind of feeling their way in a little bit. And uh, they're learning as they go. And we're seeing teething problems. I'd like to think that in 12 months' time, we won't see so many. Uh, I think it was a mistake to not have an experienced official on the world title fight. Um, I think some of the communication of the little uh, the wrinkles within their own uh, rules with regards to weighing in and things like that. I know there was confusion at UFC 205 with regards to the weighing, uh, the weighing rules at the time, so much so that I believe some of the UFC officials in the room hadn't even been made aware of some of the, uh, some of the little commission rules. For example, we had a situation where Donald Cowboy Cerrone couldn't fight because uh, Kelvin Gastelum was overweight. Yet, I think it was, uh, was it Jim Miller was able to fight uh, because he, he was in a position where the guy who was overweight weighed him first. And then if someone goes in over and the other guy then can weigh him within a certain poundage to keep it within a certain percentage, they can then agree that the fight can continue. Um, so Jim Miller, I think it was, water-loaded in order to take him above his own weight level so that he was within a percentage of the guy who'd missed. Uh, and that fight was able to happen. But because it went around the other way for Cowboy Cerrone, he weighed in, hit 170 on the button, and then uh, heard afterwards that, that um, Gasolin was at 182 or something. That fight could never happen because Cowboy had registered his official weight. So just little things like that. It could have... A lot of these things are avoidable just with a bit of communication and all the rest of it. And... There's obviously teething problems there, and I think the fact that the UFC are going to be doing quite a few events in 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 that area and under those uh, un, un, under that jurisdiction, there's going to be teething problems. But hopefully, having multiple events in relatively short space of time will allow the commission to start to iron those things out. At least we hope so. Right, a couple more questions. Let's try to rattle through them as quickly as possible. 
Uh, Simon, thumbs up, thumbs down. Three-man commentary team for UFC 208. DC, John Anik, Joe Rogan. Thoughts? Can I give it the sort of the wiggling thumbs up and down thing? The sort of the the jury's out at the moment. I think I think it can work, and I think over time it will work. But there are going to be. It's going to take a while for the dynamic to really kick in, and and uh, I think we saw a little bit of that on Saturday. I had no problem with most of it. There was a couple of instances of people talking over each other, and there were times where parts of fights almost resembled there being a conversation taking place rather than there being commentary of what was happening in in the octagon. The argument against that, or sort of you know the mitigating circumstance, uh, uh, the mitigating circumstance with that is a lot of those fights weren't good. So <laughs> so they perhaps needed a little bit of uh, of colourful discussion in order to just maintain some form of interest. Um, but I think over time it'll it'll all sort itself out. Anik is a brilliant play-by-play guy. No one preps for fights quite like he does. DC is always effervescent and bubbly and enthusiastic and uh, interesting to listen to. And everyone loves Joe Rogan. So I think over time, I think I think it'll happen. I think I think it'll be okay. Uh, I'd like to see Brian Stan get a crack in there. It was interesting. Someone tweeted him and said, "Do you think you'll ever be part of the three-man team?" And he just replied and said, "No." which I thought, I thought was very interesting. So uh, I don't know whether the UFC have closed the door on him doing that or, or whether he just doesn't think he's going to get the opportunity. But for me, I'd like to see Stan given a chance in a three-man team as well. So, But it's going to take a little bit of time, and I'm sure it'll work out eventually, but you felt like it was a bit of a new thing for the guys at the time. So it's kind of uh, you know reserved judgment for another couple of events, I reckon. Yeah, there's definitely competition for places. For UFC 209, it will be Dominic Cruz, Joe Rogan, and, and John Anik. Yeah. And um, personally, I'm not a fan of the three-man commentary team. Uh, so maybe I'm a little bit more old-fashioned. Um, I'd like to have a, a two-man team. I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. Uh, I've, you know, they've done it a couple of times before, which is fine, no problem at all. And, and I think you know, when it works, it works. It didn't really work for me by the end of the night. I think as things were going along, I, you know, I was... Kind of giving it a couple of fights, thinking let, let, let's see how this plays out. It was very DC Rogan heavy. Um, at, there was very, very little John Anik. Yeah. Very, very little. And I'm a big fan of John Anik. Um, so, again, these things do take time. I'm sure they'll reflect back and have a, a debrief and figure out how things go. Maybe with, with Cruz, it might be a little bit different. Um, I just think it's hard to have equal amount of chemistry and, and how to throw things across three versus across two. Yeah, you know? yeah, because whoever the whoever the person in the middle is has to be looking to the left, to the right. Will the person on the one end be communicating to the person on the other end? It just complicates things a little bit. So I'm not a fan of a fan of a three man team, uh, but it looks like that's the way the U, the UFC is going to be going moving forward. Um, and hopefully they can figure it all out. Andrew McCormick tweets in um, and actually provided an attachment, such as the length of the question. <laughs> Do, do you think the idea of a women's flyweight division is dead in the water for now after the shambles of the featherweight division, i.e. Cyborg turning down shot, then failing a test, home getting a title shot after two defeats, uh, Jermaine Durandamy now taking time off to get surgery on an injury she suffered two years ago, referee not taking a point away from Jermaine Durandamy, a lot in there. <laughs> uh, but look, basically he's saying, does it make a, a bad choice here with the featherweight division? Yes or no? Look, if th- if things were all hunky dory with cy- Cyborg, great. You 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 build a division for her and you just bring in the women one by one if need be. 
you have a fight twice a year and you have blockbuster fights with her as a massive draw and you're good, right? What you really want to do though is put on or create a 125 version. I'm a big advocate. I know you are as well, Simon, because you've got so many fighters at 135 or 115 that just aren't right for those divisions but would be perfect for 125. And it's unfortunate that the UFC hasn't yet created them. But to be honest with you, the, the way things are headed, with interim tiles, a featherweight division with nobody else in the roster to fill that division, um, and uh, seem, seemingly the, the UFC with the new um, owners wanting to have as many title fights on cards, it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year we did see a 125-pound division. I mean, I know that Dana White's come out and said, no, 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 it's just going to be featherweight for now. We're not going to do 125. Um, but... You know, with the way things are set up, you can take a lot of what Dana White says these days with a pinch of salt, because um, I, I don't really kind of get the sense, the feeling um, that he's really calling the, you know too much of the shots these days. It's coming from Hollywood. It's coming from Ari Emanuel and Patrick Whitesell at WMEMG. Thoughts on the uh, the 125 division, Simon? Although I know I think I've got a pretty good idea what you're going to say. Yeah. Well, first off, to address the question specifically, you ran off a big list of uh, things that went wrong, if you like, with regards to this featherweight championship fight we had at the weekend. There's probably three or four different things in that, in that, uh, that, that image that he sent us with the, with, with the question on it. You tick them off one at a time. Absolutely none of them have anything to do with a, with a flyweight division. None. So I say everything that happened this weekend has absolutely zero zilch, nada, nothing to uh, influence what could happen at 125 pounds because it just doesn't they're completely mutually exclusive um, a referee not taking a point away from someone in one weight class has no effect on the setup of another weight class as an example so I don't think it has any diff- I don't think it has any effect whatsoever if you were going to try and extract any kind of logic from it and say could that could the events of this weekend have any influence on the UFC and 125 pound division, there is one thing that could come out of it. And the one thing that could come out of it is we just created a weight class with no people in it. We tried to launch it. It didn't go so well. However, we've got the option of launching a weight class further down the list where we have fighters ready to go and we can start the thing and hit the ground running. Why the hell don't we do it? So if anything, I think, it highlights the fact that doing 125 is is even more of a no-brainer. They've tried to force this 145-pound division, and it's been a bit of a bumpy start. That will settle down over time. But 125 is a much easier launch as a division because you've got people ready to go, people who will drop down from 35, people who will move up from 15. So I think I think it just, if anything, it just highlights the fact that doing a 25 division is so much of a no-brainer. So, if anything, I would take that as uh, maybe I'm it's me being a born optimist, but I think it just highlights the fact that doing 25 is easy. So I would I, I would I would look at it that way. And the final question of uh, a blockbuster segment of a Q and A this week comes again from Stuart Tuckwell. Stuart, my man, just throwing in the questions this week, and he says, "Will this weekend's judging and refereeing put fighters off fighting in New York?" I'm not sure. I think if you're a, a born and raised fighter from New York, you want to find that card. I think if the, if the UFC bring another event to Madison Square Garden, which they are likely to do sooner or later, who doesn't want to fight at MSG, right? 
and and even if it's at the the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, just to be in and around uh, New York, I think there's so many more media opportunities available uh, in New York with a lot of the major outlets there. It, you know, it, it can do a lot um, lot for your career in terms of getting more exposure. Um, I suppose what the ref- what the fighters should be able to do moving forward is what they have the power to do with the athletic commissions and um, and and put in requests um, to not have certain referees, you know, officiate their particular fight. They do have the power to do that, uh, but they need to go through the the due process and and make those uh, requests uh, well in advance um, for that to for that to be actioned um, by the commission. Um, I think you know, again, if if, if Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandamy, for example, um, who to fight in New York again, uh, whoever the referee was, I can't remember his name from the top of my head, uh, but I'm sure Holly Holm would be putting in a, a stern request for him not to be officiating their rematch. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, what do you think, Sai? Do you think anything that's gone 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 on with uh, the UFC, particularly in New York, would put off any of the fires from fighting in there? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, uh, I think, I think the uh, the lure of potentially fighting on a big card in New York is 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 obviously still there. And there are a good few fighters who fight out of the East Coast, and I'm sure they'd want to fight closer to home for a whole load of reasons. So I don't think it's too damaging at this point. Obviously, if this becomes a trend and it happens every time, then I can I can see certainly the big stars maybe turning around and saying. Nah, just give me the fights in Vegas, you know, because when you're fighting for world championships, you don't want to, you don't want to lose out as a result of uh, incompetent officiating. So, um, I think you can put this down as a one-off, but we'll see what happens next time around. If it, if it starts to become a pattern, then then maybe. But I think right now it might be a little bit early to say. And that does it for this week's Q and A time. That was a hell of a list of questions to get through there today absolutely big thank you to everyone who sent questions uh please do keep sending them in throughout the week uh as sandy said earlier it makes things much much easier for us and uh it's always good to know when we're heading into a show that we've got a load of questions to answer because um it just helps the show move along so thank you very much if you want to send us questions and you've never done it before why not make this week the first time you try it send us a tweet at the Brit Pack MMA and uh, send us your question. Um, if you can't get your question into 140 characters, do what one of our uh, resourceful listeners did. Screen grab it off your notes or something and send it to us as an image or just ping it to us over a series of tweets. However you can get your questions to us, get them to us and we will answer them on the show. So, at the Brit Pack MMA is the handle to send all your questions to. You can talk to me and Sandu in the week if you want as well. You're more than welcome. I'm at Simon Head. Sandu is at Sandu MMA. Subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Acast and SoundCloud. You can get all the information you need, including all the past episodes of the Brit Pack from our very own All Singing, All Dancing website at thebritpackmma.com. That was episode number 27 of the Brit Pack. We've got a pack weekend of live mixed martial arts action coming this weekend. Cage Warriors, Bellator, UFC, and we will review the best of that on next week's show. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and we'll speak to you next week.